Welcome to the Successful Athletes Podcast presented by Trainer Road, where we interview successful athletes to make you a faster cyclist. This week, we are joined all the way across the pond over in Dublin, Ireland, Ireland with Joseph Byrne. How you doing, Joseph? Not too bad. Joe, forgive me. <laughs> no we can drop the formalities. Just yeah. Joe. <laughs> uh, we have you on this podcast this week because we are going to discuss how you have been successful in triathlon and then also transferring to road racing and your somewhat new foray into that. And so it'll be really fun to kind of talk about the, the differences between the two and everything else. But first things first, I want to talk about this. You broke 10 hours. And for those that don't know, uh, doing a full distance Ironman under 10 hours, that's a really big achievement. And that's like a, a really common goal, like a, a moonshot goal for an age grouper. That's really trying hard to, to be fast and to go for, you know, a fast achievement, something that, you know, thousands upon thousands of people around the world wish they could do and you did it. So I want to get into how you made all of that happen. Uh, first things first though, could you kind of lay out like where the event was, uh, what race it was, and then we'll probably backtrack into your training and then look at how you executed on race day. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. So the race was the outlaw full distance triathlon in Nottingham in the UK. So the re the reason I chose that I suppose was cause I could drive to it. It was relatively close. I could get the ferry over, load up the car, bring as much as I wanted. Um, it just made the, the logistics behind and the stress behind it a lot easier. There was a campsite about 300 meters from the race start, the race registration, transition everywhere, the race finish. So every all the all the sort of practicalities around it and the, the hard bit after the race, getting back to the hotel and all was sorted. So that was, that was the main reason that I chose it. Probably not the, the fastest course in the world, um, open roads on the bike, no closed roads. And then with, we had a summer that year where we had probably our best summer in 10 or 15 years. And I got the one day where we got like a squall with 50 mile per hour winds and six degrees. And yeah, so sort of plans for the race were altered very, very quickly on the fly, really. So um, no, happy with how it went in the end. But I suppose there's a little bit of looking back at that then going, well, if the conditions had been a bit better, what what could I have done? But um, no, a great race. Uh, I'm fair play to the organisers. They were at the, on the Saturday before the race, the day before the race, it was it looked like this might not even happen, but they acted quickly. They changed the swim around, got the tents moved, got marquees moved, science pulled down and, and done the best. And there was, there was no issues then on race day with running the race. So I was lucky in the end, I suppose, that I even got the race. Wow. So what sort of changes did they make to the course? And, and then I guess we'll talk about how that can affect an athlete that's been preparing for something very specific and then suddenly having a change. Well, the main change was it was used to be a one lap swim. So the swim was held in a rowing lake. So it's where the great British rowing team trained. So it's a big rectangle lake. So you used to swim down to the end, across and back. So they actually shortened it to three smaller laps with a bit of an Australian exit at the end of each one which in some ways made it better because you could get out and you could see there was lads in front of you putting a bit of sprints to get on another pack and, and then back into the water again. So that was the main change. The bike course sort of stayed the same, but obviously with, with them conditions, you have to adjust your plan yourself and take it a bit because as well, the first day of rain in about two or three months on proper rain, it was greasy. It was oily. There was, there was a lot of lads got bikes and corners. It was, it was, it was tricky. It was tricky conditions. And uh, I think I weighed in on the morning of the race about 57 kilos. So I wrote this down. So, you know, that's uh, 127 pounds. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's not very, a, I'm not a heavy athlete. So very quickly, the deep front wheel came off and the shallow training wheel went on and the disc came off and a deeper front wheel. But 
had to change the position a little bit to sit up a little bit more, giving himself a bit more stability, um, and just just mm-hmm. took it a bit handier, I suppose, on the bike just to to make sure I got to the run. Oh, so many fascinating details that I want to jump <laughs> into as as a, as a, as a nerd here that nerds out on that sort of thing. Um, when you changed your position, did you change your position to allow yourself to spend more time in the arrow position, even though it was more upright, or did you find yourself still riding on the horns or the the bars themselves, not the extensions? No, I was I was on a speed concept, so it was very easy to adjust the pads. So I just brought them back a little bit towards me, just to bring me up a little bit, get a bit more stability. So not as stretched. So I just I just found it a bit more stable, really. Like especially with the wind, I mean, blowing around. So uh, I I done that the day before when the wind started to pick up. I I, I tried it and trained, and so I knew right if if it's not the best conditions, this might be the best for me. No, that might just be in my head, but I think that that's as important as anything. And I felt I felt comfortable going out on the course. I was freezing, but I felt comfortable. <laughs> um, yeah, so it just like that stability, and especially 57 kilos, I, I tend to get blown around a lot anyway. So because I could take the car, I was able to throw in a few different wheels. So I think I had five or six different wheels with me, depending on what the day was going to be. So I was, I was well prepared. Now, I didn't throw in a long sleeve jersey, which you would think you would rather than five sets of wheels, but that's that was my mistake. And <laughs> very, very nearly, very nearly didn't finish the bike because of it. It was, I think, it was six degrees in the morning, so I was about an hour into, an hour into the bike before I started to warm up. But, but no, it was it worked out well in the end, and it was was a, I suppose, the bringing the wheels and making making sure that was probably the, the main priority. I knew it'd get warm, so that was okay. What depth wheel did you have before the race, and then what did you go to? I had a Flow sixty millimeter, um, and I went to just a normal Mavic Caesarium just no depth at all just and i had i brought a, a fulcrum wet red wind i think it's 14 mil so i had to trade them with me depending on i was a bit twitchy on the flow anyway but i said in perfect conditions that's what i'd use chances are i was going to use the 14 mil but on the day i went back to the complete box rim no no depth at all and it, mm. it was fine then what did you use in the back uh, flow 60 I had 60s front and back and then I had a flow disc as well, but I didn't, I didn't go with that on the day. I just didn't, I wasn't going to chance it. <laughs> no doubt. The front wheel certainly has more influence yeah. over direction change and lack of stability as a result of wind. However, it's not to say that the back wheel doesn't have any effect as well. So yeah. And even with know, the corner, the disc can be a bit different going around corners and with the wet and the grease, I just thought just playing the safe side really. And just. It's a long day and the bike was going to take what it was going to take. The, the sort of predictions went out the window when I woke up that morning or that evening. I sort of knew, look, this isn't going to go to, there's no point chasing times. It's just stick to the power. Um, so to make it as comfortable as possible and to spend as little time stressing about, am I going to get around this corner? Am I going to get blown when I go past this hedge? I said, look, just play it safe and see, see how it goes. So let's talk a little bit more about, I guess, the, the stuff that you were wearing. Did you change anything? Like I noticed for a lot of people, when it comes to rainy conditions, many times if they have a helmet with a visor, that visor can get fogged up or, or dirty and it gets really difficult to deal with. So let's go head to toe. What did you have on race day? And then if you had, if you changed that at last minute, what were you planning to run prior to the weather change? Yeah, so the only things I really changed were the, the, the position of the bike and the wheels and the helmet. I had a zero arrowhead, but like that because of the visor, it tends to be when it's rain, it tends to be very uh, humid over here. So we get a lot of it, it fogs up a lot anyway. So I brought a specialized evade. I was in two minds about the arrowhead. I found I found it a bit heavy um, when I was thinking mm. the longer the bike was going to take me, 
the less chance I was going to wear it just because, again, it's a long day. I still have to run a marathon after they get off the bike. So it, it's more than just aero. But um, but unfortunately, that was they were the only two changes I made. I should have put in a long sleeve jersey and I should have put on little toe covers on the shoes, but I didn't. I, I don't know why. I've done everything else, but I thought I'd be okay. I sort of gambled that. The weather, the weather was to turn a bit as the day went on. Um, now, it didn't turn as quick as they thought it would. And I think I was about <laughs> an hour and 20 minutes into the bike and I started thinking this, this might be the end of the day if it doesn't mm. turn. Now, look, luckily it did. So I was, I was, I was grand. And once it did, it, it, was, it, was, it was much better. But um, yeah, it was a cold first 90 minutes on the bike. Yeah, did you... So when you mentioned that point where it was kind of like the, the okay, uh, it might be over, mm. was that purely based on discomfort? or of the moment, or were you just anticipating looking ahead, thinking I can't finish this? And then what pushed you through that? What made you decide to actually stick it out? Well, I, I was on a, the, one of the few downhills on the course and I think the wind chilled and I was wet and I was thinking if this doesn't start turning, it hadn't stopped raining since I woke up that morning. I was thinking this, this is a miserable, I'm just miserable. I'm not feeling this. I'm cold, I'm shaking. It was breaking was hard because I was shaking. But about 10, 15 minutes later, the rain stopped. It got a bit brighter. And I sort of went, right, that's, we're warming up now. We're okay. It can't get any worse than what it has been. So let's just keep going. I suppose once then we hit a few, once we got out of the flatter part of the circuit, hit a few more hills, I was able to generate a bit more heat because I was working a bit more. Um, so yeah, once once the sun came out and it got a bit brighter, that sort of lifted my mood naturally, I suppose, as well. Yeah, it was, that was it, yeah. So uh, your pacing plan. What did you have in in mind then? And then that gets really tough when you're dealing with wind gusts. It's it's not unlike it suddenly taking a flat profile and making it have constant sharp little rollers. Because uh, for those that haven't looked at this, when you're riding and you're putting out a consistent power output, and then you have even something that's like a 15 mile an hour wind gust hits you, that can spike your power up to 30 watts very easily uh, if you try to hold the same speed through that condition even more. So what was your pacing plan? Did you have to adjust it because of the weather? And then let's talk through thereafter about sticking to it because that's a whole different deal. <laughs> yeah, it's like on, on perfect conditions, the plan was to hold about 180, 190 watts, so which would have put me just over three watts per kilo. Um, I think about 3.1, 3.2 watts per kilo. Now, very quickly into the bike, like you say, the wind just made it possible. Sometimes you could be pushing 180 watts and going 10 kilometers an hour and other times... With a tailwind, you could be going 40 or 50. No, there wasn't. Unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of tailwinds that day. But um, <laughs> There never seemed to be. <laughs> no, no. And, yeah, we never get the payback. But um, no. no, no, very quickly, I used, I suppose I used the power then. I realized very quickly that, look, this isn't going to be a fast day for the bike. It's just not going to happen. So rather than sticking to a power, I just, I, I had a good idea on feel how I could how it could go and I used the power more as a limiter so to make sure I wasn't working too hard which, which is easily done into a headwind that you get carried away you put the head down you look down and suddenly you're 30 or 40 watts over than you want so on the whole mainly I kept it to make sure I wasn't working too hard but but on the end of the day it did go out the window a little bit and just sort of kept it easy and just kept it safe so if I felt that I needed to stop pedaling for a second because the wind was too much I just eased off I didn't I didn't hold myself to the power at all and now plan was about 180 185 i came in at 170 watts by the end so it wasn't a million miles off um and I, I felt great getting off the bike then 15 watts made a huge difference then to the rest of the day like but but yeah i think the big thing once i started decided in my mind myself that look don't 
don't chase this, leave it. Whatever happens, happens. The condi- you didn't, nobody could anticipate these conditions. Nobody could train for these conditions. So just get to that run and see how you go. That's a good point. I think a lot of the time we sit there and we think that we're the only ones that are struggling with holding to a pacing plan. And if we deviate from that, then we're going to get left behind by everybody else. But it is so important to remember that everybody had some sort of a plan and it's all, everybody's struggling with that same need to adjust or to change whatever that plan is. So it's, it's not the end of the world. And if anything, in this case, it was very smart because one of the hardest things is, um, those little surges, like you said, when you have your head down and you're just pedaling, pedaling, and then that gust of wind hits you, it's tempting to push into it and to kind of fight back against that. If you look at it, it suddenly changes your very steady power profile into something that almost looks like a criterium. Like you're just hitting over and over and over. And those sort of efforts really exhaust your legs, uh, when you're coming into a a big run thereafter. So Super smart, uh, way to go with that. What did you do for nutrition on the bike? That can be really hard in the wind with when you're being in position and everything else, just cause every time you grab a bottle and you're one handed, mm. you're vulnerable uh, to the wind. Yeah. So I like that early on, I sort of figured out right the wind is going to, the weather is going to decide this bike really. So I tried to be smart and when I felt I was more sheltered, that's when I took something to eat, whether it was the plan, the plan was to eat a little and often every 20, 25 minutes and try and drink a bottle between aid stations. The aid stations were about 30 kilometers apart. But rather than try and spread it out, if I felt safe and I felt right, I can actually do it now without being blown around, I, I got it into me, which meant sometimes eating more than I planned for that hour and then maybe 15 minutes at the next hour and not eating as much. But on the whole, I ate more because because I was so cold at the start and I was shivering and I was shaking. Um, I, I decided then at the aid stations, I take, I take a little bit extra food. Um, so it took an extra gel or two that I probably hadn't planned to take, but, but it worked. The aid station is about 30 kilometers apart. So I started with one bottle on the bike between my arms and then a spare bottle on the frame just in case. And then the plan was every aid station take a bottle. So I'd always leave the one on the bike just in case. And then at the last aid station, I wouldn't take a bottle and I'd take the one on the bike and put it up between my arms. Um, and it worked well. Didn't need, to, didn't need to touch the spare one until the end. Took a bottle on at every station. Tried, I hadn't really planned on taking calories to me drink, but again, with the day that I was at one or two, I took on a bottle of a fuel rather than a bottle of just electrolytes. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, it worked well. I, yeah. I got off the bike feeling great. No stomach discomfort. It helped. They used high five and they, they started advertised that beforehand. So for about six months before I was training with high five stuff. So I was trying different mixes because you don't know the bottle you're going to get in the day, how they mixed it or who mixed it or what. So I was, I was just, in training i was just trying different mixes and just getting my stomach used to it and yeah there was no no issues at all with the fuel i think that's probably one of the best things i've done in the day and like in the preparation for it when you're reading the blogs if everybody's done it the one thing they all talk about is nutrition so uh i, I made sure now that six months of, of practicing it and practicing it and practicing it and yeah i think uh, i think it worked well then on the day so do you know roughly, like, were you planning to have a certain amount of calories or car- grams of mm. carbohydrate per hour? Like, what was your goal? And then about, about it sounds like you ended up grams. just overshooting it. 70 grams of carbs per hour is what I was aiming for. Um, I think some of the hours I might have went up to 80, 85, one or two other hours might have been 60 on the bike. Um, started, I, I guess the bike was going to take me just to a course that was the profile. It's slow. It wouldn't be a, a fast course. Uh, it's a bit long. It's open roads as well, so I had to stop once or twice at roundabouts and traffic lights, which is not what you want on a race. But um, <laughs> so I, I sort of planned it's going to take me in around the five hours, maybe five fifteen. Um, so the first three hours, I tried to eat a bit solid, and um, 
rather than going from gels from the start. It was going to be on gels long enough in the marathon as well. So had solid food for the first three hours um, and then moved towards gels for the last last two hours. So the solid foods were like, um, I think they're called Velo Forte. They're like a cake bar and some jellies and stuff like that and some other stuff. Just some stuff I liked. Um, a bit of chocolate as well, just to, to break up the flavours, I suppose. And then moved the gels down for the last two hours. And then because it took me a bit longer, I grabbed a few extra gels at one of the A stations and then used them as I went. So I was, I was happy enough then. What sort of gels were you eating? Uh, like which brand or? There were high five, high five. I don't know if she's, yeah, we have them over here and yep. they're, they're handy because they're cheap. So you can buy them bulk for 10 euro for a box of 20. So I was delighted when I seen they were the, the race <laughs> ones. There was, that was good. And, and they're very readily available. They're easy to get. So sometimes they use obscure brands for some races, but I could, I could buy them in bulk and, and try use them in training. So I was using exactly, they even to be fair to the organizers, they put up what flavors they were using if there were caffeine and not caffeine, what, what drink mixes they were using. So I was able wow. to try everything. So, yeah, so I had a good idea what I liked, what agreed with me, what I didn't like, when I liked it. So I knew, like, some flavors I wouldn't like as I got tired. They just, they just didn't, weren't for me. So I could move to the more plain ones or the more normal ones. So, yeah, no, I was, I was probably the happiest bit of the race was there was the nutrition, especially when you read, because that seems to be the thing that get, gets most people is the mm. nutrition on the longer days. I wish cycling event organizers were that, uh, yeah. proactive in, in doing that. That would be fantastic, uh, to know exactly what they're going to have and everything else. Uh, so when you eat, <clears throat> when we get into this race and the, the run, let, let's talk about that really quick. You fueled well on the bike. You were able to under, uh, you were able to undershoot your power goal. So your run actually was pretty fast too. I believe that you did right around like a set. Yeah. So that puts you somewhere just under like a seven and a half minute per mile pace for those that are listening to this. That's like, that's pretty fast. Um, mm. and is that, so for you, like, was that your pacing plan and did you execute on that? Were you able to go over under? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't in, in training. My plan was to run the three twenty. That that's what I was aiming for three twenty marathon. I had swam just under the hour. So the bike was slow. The bike was five forty. So I got off with transitions. It would have left me, I think needing a three fifteen marathon to go under the 10 hour mark so the way the, the way the race was you passed the finish line a lot you, you've seen laps it was longer laps shorter mm -hmm. laps a few different laps so i knew leaving transition yeah so i knew leaving transition for the run that i had about three three, three hours 15 so i decided to to go for it really and push it on see how it went so i done the first kilometer far too quick, as everybody does, four minute kilometer. And then, then I set it into my pace. But I ran a one thirty-six first half marathon and then a one thirty-seven second half marathon. So Wow. Nice job. Yeah. So when we take when I looked at it afterwards and I took out the fast first kilometer, I think there was only a four or five second difference between my fastest and my slowest. So and again, I just ran by didn't get too hung up on the watch. I knew I needed to do the first one around that time. To give myself a chance and then i said sure look well nobody could anticipate this day so we'll see what happens so uh, no held up well guided with how it went yeah the, the run was the surprise i suppose when i got into triathlon running would have been my my weakest so so to run and that's that was my first ever marathon so to run 313 off the bike was was yeah i was happy with that super impressive what did you do to become a better runner if that was your weakness coming in uh, run more <laughs> that, that's, yeah. It's as, yeah it's a simple I, I slowed down a lot as well um i've done the usual thing of trying to run too much too fast um 
I, I'd done very little hard running and training. I even my intervals would have been sort of half marathon paced intervals. I didn't do a whole lot. I was doing big mileage, I was doing 80, 90, 100 kilometer weeks, but no real, real hard stuff. Um, majority of the hard work was the bike and then just miles and miles on the run and getting used to running tired. So it just became became natural. I would do my long run on a sat- long bike on a Saturday morning and I would do a brick straight off it. And then I would do my long run on a Sunday morning. So Sunday, the last day of the week after all your training, tired. It would be very easy, but I just got used to to running on tired legs and that just became second nature really. Mm. So it didn't feel like a shock on race day? No, it felt, it felt grand. I really had to pull myself back now the first 5K. But the first 1K, I let myself have it because you're always going to do that. But then I really had to keep an eye and no, this this is a long, this is not a 10K or a half marathon. This is, this is a long day, so take your time. So looking back at this, this is like a sub 10 performance in a sub 10 hour performance on, in, on a day with very suboptimal conditions. Uh, did you have any sort of a time goal going into this or did you just like, were you trying to go sub 10 or, or where were you at with that? I did initially when I signed up, sub 10 was the goal that I put it out. I thought anybody who asked me, I told them that's what I wanted to do on a good day. I thought I could go close to 940. Um, the bike would have been, the bike was always going to be, it's not a Barcelona or a Florida where it's a pan flat bike. The bike was always going to be the tough one. Um, but it was the main reason I chose the race that was because of how close it was and I could bring the car and stuff. I didn't want to have to travel and fly and bring bikes and wheels and stuff. So on that course, 940 was sort of the, the A goal. So I think 956 is what I came in. And so on the day and with everything that happened, yeah, I was delighted. It was the first the first goal was 10, 10 hours. Anything under that 10 was was delight was was I was happy. And especially when I got off the bike and seeing what I had to do. I was, yeah. Mm. I couldn't have asked for much more. If you were to look back and credit just a handful of things, like three things that were crucial to going sub 10, because somebody's listening to this right now, they've either not gone sub 10 yet and they want to, or that's their goal. They just want to go sub 10. What are the, like, if you were to point out two or three things that you feel like were really crucial to you going sub 10, what would they, what would they be? That could be on race day or your build up to it. Yeah. It's about the nutrition is the, is probably the one that's, that gets most people like I, I don't, I lost count of how many blogs and race reports I read where people said there's stomach issues and everything like that. So, um, I, I put a lot of work into that six months of checking and trying, using it and training. Um, I trained a lot, I suppose as well, using trainer mode, obviously, but in, in the aero position. So I didn't use the bull bars. I, I just put, I swallowed my pride and accepted that my FTP was going to drop because there's going to be an aero and just accepted it from the start. So from the start, I was doing long rides on the turbo, three or four hours in aero position, just trying to hold it and get as comfortable and as, as efficient as I can. Because I suppose that's, Ironman isn't really a test or full distance, isn't a test of speed. It's just how long you can go before you slow down, really. So it's about being as efficient as possible. So even the run, bearing the run when tired, um, just getting through it, I don't think you necessarily need a huge amount of intensity there during the run. If you're doing 90, 100 kilometer weeks, it just, you, you can't do both. So yeah, I would say that that's probably, it's hard to put the finger on one or two things. I'd say the nutrition is probably the big, the big thing. And then obviously the bike played a big part. The bike would have always, well, not always been my weakest, but just with my size, it, it's, it's difficult to put out the powers the big boys put out. So I suppose you have to, you have to put the work in as well. And efficiency on the bike is, is everything really in an Ironman. 
prior to this race, had you done uh, different distance triathlons as well? Like, you know, we're talking sprint Olympic and half are all fit in below this full distance. Yeah. So I, I suppose this, this was probably my sixth year of triathlon. So I've done sprint Olympic. I've done reasonably well. Like I would have gone fast at them distances. Um, but I always felt that I was just missing that bike power to really break the top. You know, I have a, I have a few results at nationals and stuff like that, but just the bike was always the one that stood out I suppose in age group racing and um, not, not against the, the top top lads but um, them lads have put two or three minutes into me in the bike and trying to catch that up on the run or the swim was always very hard so and I always found the tougher the race the better I done so I thought maybe this full distance thing might suit me a bit better so mm. so and it did seem to, to be fair yeah, no doubt. That's super impressive time with your training for that. You mentioned that you use trainer road plans for, for, for all of that too. Um, for the, for the bike portions at the very least for what you were doing there, uh, was, was the, uh, a big question that a lot of people have training indoors, training in position on your TT bike indoors, everything else. And then perhaps the void of relativity that you have between that and then getting on race day. Did you find it hard doing all of those workouts and in that structured manner on the trainer, everything else, and then getting out on race day? Was there a void there that you had to like go through, like kind of like an application period almost for you um, getting used to that? Maybe a little bit. So I followed the low volume full distance plan. So I think there was three sessions a week, maybe four sessions some weeks. And I put in a long ride myself um, <laughs> outside on a Saturday morning. So now in Ireland, I, because of the timing of the race, I had to start training in January with our weather, I wasn't really out on the roads till March, May, March, April, May. So I would put in a long three-hour, sort of three, four-hour turbo, easy enough, nothing too hectic, just to get used to the position. The work was all done during the week, and on it, I moved one of the workouts then to the Sunday evening, so the last session of the week was another workout. But all done in aero, all done trying to get used to that position. And then the, the only goal for the long one was just to get used to going long, practice nutrition, practice does is this comfortable outside the turbo is a very different beast as far as position wise and comfort wise to being outdoors up and down hills corner and stuff like that so there was no other goal on the long the long spin on the saturday than other than just rack up miles and keep it easy i, I don't think i ever went over 170 175 watts so just kept it kept it nice and simple just to try and keep the I suppose the specificity there towards the, the full distance as well that's smart. And that's a really good approach that I think not a lot of people consider enough of doing that low volume training where you get in your structure and it's all intent. It's all built around that shorter time frame to then allow you to have that longer ride to get used to the context that you'll have on race day. And in this case, arrow positions are huge. Like you can't just assume that everything is going to work out on race day. Uh, if you haven't been training in the arrow position like that, haven't been riding outside. And also, like you said, it's a great opportunity to test nutrition. So I'm a huge fan of that low volume approach for a large, I would even say the majority of athletes. It's, it's a really good way to do things. So, um, so with all this said here, we're talking, so when you first started, you were using virtual power, yes. um, probably it said that you were about 120 Watts and it's, you can't really compare that necessarily to what you have with a power meter because it's an estimation, but you and I have spoken. We assume that you're probably somewhere around 140 Watts maybe when you started somewhere around there. Yeah. probably about 67, 68 kilos. So I'd say, I'd say that was a rough, rough guy. It's probably close enough to where I was on an old dumb tax blue Matic. 50 euro cheapest trainer you can buy that would work with trainer road. That's, that's <laughs> what I used. 
That's the hey, yeah. I just use I just use a simple pair of rollers, so yeah, I feel well, you. Um, simple. I don't yeah. know. Simple and rollers isn't <laughs> scary and rollers maybe not simple and rollers. Yeah, I should have had scary simple rollers, yeah. right? Simple in the sense that they don't have any smart capabilities. Um, but then on race day, you're around uh, around 57 kilos. So like you mentioned, around 125 pounds, somewhere around there. And then uh, roughly probably somewhere around like 240 watts, um, which that puts you like right around 4.2, 4.3 watts per kilogram, which is really impressive, that sort of improvement. How long did it take you to make that improvement from beginning to end? Um, about six years, seven years. Um, no, yeah. And I, I, I would have reached there once or twice maybe before. So I would have aimed, aimed for a sort of sprint nationals the mm -hmm. two years before the year before and Olympic nationals. So it would have been in around that sort of power, but this, I suppose the specific phase of it would have been more towards sprint power or Olympic distance duration sort of, but, um, no, it was, yeah, it was a good, good power, good, good weight and mm -hmm. um, maybe a little light, but. It was hard with the full distance training to, to keep the weight on, I suppose. But um, no, I was, I was very happy with the progression, I suppose, over the years. And it, it's still going up, I suppose, as well. So that's that's good. And, and me in, indulging a personal curiosity here uh, while I have you on the air, we're going to be doing eventually a triathlon challenge where we do the sprint Olympic half and full all within the space of about six months. So, you know, like one and then two months later, another two months later, another. Um, when we do that, uh, I I'm super curious, did you find yourself more, and this kind of leads into the discussion that we'll have hereafter, but doing sprints, doing Olympics, half full all that whole thing, did you prefer one or the other? And was it because you were good at it? I guess, like, which one are you best at? Results wise, I was probably best, at sprint, maybe Olympic, but in terms of what I preferred sprint would not be up there <laughs> sprint sprint is an hour of pain and you, you relax at the end and then see how it goes Olymp olympic is probably my favorite distance and um, i feel you can race olympic if it's and you can race it fast half you're starting to get into a bit more thinking longer right i could be on the bike for two and a half hours i have to be a bit smarter about this olympic distance bike an hour an hour and two minutes and then a fast run off it, it, sort, it sort of suited me a little bit um, but I, I would look for tough races as well. So I would look for hilly races, hilly runs, rough swims, anything I could do to get any sort of advantage because of my size. So um, sprint races here tend to be flat and fast. Um, so that, that's probably why. Ability-wise, maybe probably sprint. I seem to do the best results-wise in sprints, but no. Mm. <laughs> I wouldn't be rushing <laughs> to be doing any any sprints. <laughs> I'm thinking that looking forward, I'm thinking that I'll prefer shorter distances because I always have in cycling events, but I guess I have no clue once we get into it. Um, the question that I have on this now is, so you've had success in triathlon, you broke 10 hours, uh, at a, at a full distance race. So good, but then you, you switched. So like you ended up, I guess, changing over and taking a break from triathlon. Why, why did you do that? Like, what was the motive? I just found motivation very hard after the, the full distance. Um, it was always a long-term plan to do a full, so it's six or seven years, and I had a number of goals I wanted to knock off before. So I think I went 103 in an Olympic and 204, in a, or 103 in a sprint and 204 in an Olympic and sub 430 and a half. So I was ticking off all these goals as I went, and then I done the full, and I, do, I got the goal I wanted, and I thought in my mind I want to go back and go 930. 
well, it, it's it's a huge commitment, um, and that's mm. th- there's no way around that. And not even for me, for my wife and my dogs and other stuff like that. So looking after them, I'd be gone for as we got closer to the race, I could be gone for five hours on the bike on a Saturday and back and gone for another hour in the run. Spent Sunday morning gone for two two and a half hours run, and then Sunday evening out doing another hour on the bike. Um, mm. And it it just got a bit much work suit at the time and at the race and work changed a little bit afterwards. So it just wasn't as easy to fit it all in. And I I just wanted a break, really. It had been my life for seven, seven, eight years. Triathlon was everything I'd done. Um, So I bought a house and a few other bits and pieces had gone on. So I thought I'd take a break for a year and and see, just try something else and have a bit of fun, really. Um, It wasn't even to compete in cycling. It was more just to, to have a bit of fun, but... I suppose once once you start competing, it's hard to to switch that off as well. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, because you you really with the sub ten time, you're within the realm of being able to. You're pretty close to being able to qualify for Kona, especially you know depending on the different races. So, do you ever have any ambitions for that? I'd I'd, I'd love to go to Kona, but the, the the difference between where I am and what I need for Kona is it, it's not going to come this year or the next year. Like it, it would it'd be a three or four year plan of full distance training and the, the payoff for it. I'm not sure for my life is is worth it. Um, I would lo- I would love to go and I would like to come back to triathlon and do more. Um, but for the moment, for the time being, just work life balance, just cycling suits suits better. Yeah. So let's get into that. Like, what what made you pick cycling? Was it because you were familiar with it and enjoyed it as triathlon? Or was it just logistically simple and easy? Did you uh, like the challenge of something new? What was the motivation? A, a bit of all three. Cycling is probably the one I enjoyed the most. Um, even though it's probably one of my weaker one out of the tree, I, I just I like going out on the bike. And I live in a nice part of Dublin where I'm not too far from the countryside and I can go and find quiet roads and I have to be bothered by cars. I can, it gets me out. It's great for my head. Um, if I was to do it for competing, I probably would have picked running just because my size and my, my shape sort of suits running better. But no, I, I enjoyed cycling. I've, I've always commuted on bikes or gone to school on bikes. And I just, I like bikes. I like how they look and I like what they do. And I like messing around with them and tinkering with them and everything. So I just thought, ah, this is the perfect time. Like that, we bought the house. We were a bit closer to a few different hills. And there was a cycling club in the area and stuff. So I said, I, I'll, I'll give cycling a go, I suppose. And I was trying to road as well. Like it's, I, I enjoy the turbo trainer. I always have people, I've been using it for eight years trying to roll nine years i'm still on the very first price subscription I, i'm grandfathered <laughs> in there and i think i'm staying there forever but um yeah i, I enjoy the turbo my, my wife turbos as well and she uses trying to roll and it's, it's just it suits it just suits everything i suppose so maybe you can explain a little bit then like because you wanted to you still with cycling you wanted to be competitive um maybe you can explain the Irish cycling organization a little bit more in terms of like the categories here in the United States, we have category five through one. Usually it takes an athlete, you know, that that's usually a, a multi-year process to get through that. What do they have over in Ireland? We So it starts in a four and goes up to a one. So a one would be the, the best of the best lads. And then a one, a twos tend to race the same races, but would have their own separate races within the race. A four is like, it's a bit of a catch-all, it's a bit of a beginner introduction and the first level of racing. So it's a good mix in A4. It can be hard to get out of. Um, just, there's some lads who be stuck there a few years. I, I was very, very lucky that I got out of it very quick. And then A3, and A3 would include the juniors, which 
brings its own challenges when you're racing international junior athletes and things like that. But so it goes A4, A3, A2, A1, and you need a certain amount of points from positions to move up the up the categories. And your goal was to go from A4 to A3, right? Uh, I mean, obviously, first step. Yeah, short term. Yeah, and I well, the first, the very first goal was just to get experience racing. I, I had no real experience. I don't a bit. Of, we have things called club leagues, so if you would like, the local cycling clubs will come together and they run they run some evening races during the week, and it's more of a gaining experience than anything else. So, the club I'm in, a local club Val Rotary, they're called, um, were in one. So I I was doing that, and every time I went, I was learning a bit more, and it was completely outside my comfort zone where I'm used to triathlon and. I was nervous before races and I didn't know what to be bringing or what to be wearing. And so it was a huge learning experience. So the first year or two, I thought, right, just, just try and figure this out a bit. Like I've done with triathlon, just what do I need to do? Where are my weaknesses? What am I good at? What sort of races do I need to look at? That sort of thing. So that was, that was initially the first plan just to see if I liked it and to give it a go. Mm. So with, with this sort of thing, I, this is the big question that a lot of triathletes have. What did you find difficult getting into cycling coming from the triathlon side of things? Like what was either nerve wracking and scary to you or what did you find that just you weren't good at? Yeah, but the nerve wracking bit was being in the race, being in the group with, we're used to having <laughs> 10, 12 meters between us and you can do what you want in a bike and nobody really bothers you, but it's, it's, it's scary. It is like, it's, it's nervous going into that pack and trying to get used to finding your position. The club and we're very good. There's lads who've been, who've been cycling racing for years so I got loads of advice from them and like they really helped me and you could just sit back in the group on a group spin and watch how lads move through the group and where they put themselves and you could figure out a lot so that that was the real real nerve-wracking thing the other thing I suppose a triathlete I suppose with six years or seven years of training for a triathlete sort of steady state I, I have no issues I can so I always had these dreams that were go off the front and just solo to glory from 20 kilometers out but <laughs> It's very, it's very different when you have a pack of 10 lads working to catch you <laughs> and you, you, learn, you learn very quick. You're not, you're not as strong as you think you are, but I suppose getting used to the surges, getting used to the, okay, I have to go above threshold now and I have to stay there for a minute or two and then I have to recover quickly and be ready to go again while navigating through the bunch, while going, am I in the right place? Should I be moving to my right a little bit? Should I get out from behind this lad? He looks a bit wobbly. Where are we coming up to the hill on the course? That sort of thing. So yeah, there was, there was a lot of learning, um, and a lot. And a, to be honest, a lot that I wasn't good at when I when I mm. when I came to it. And so the bike leg and the triathlon, you're, you're setting yourself up for the run. So there's that self preservation there where you sort of go, I, I can't go all out in this. I need to leave some something because I have to run for at least five k off it. So the first few bike races I finished, I was finished, and I was looking around, and there was lads hanging off the bikes, and I was sort of thinking. That wasn't wasn't too bad. I'm thinking <laughs> you didn't you didn't go hard enough. You you need to learn to, <laughs> to push past that thing. That for the last six years, I've been trying to keep convince myself not to go hard in the bike, keep something for the run. But now you're saying, but sometimes you do need to push past that little voice in your head that says shouldn't be doing this. So so yeah, it was there was a huge huge amount of experience learning, and, and that's I, I looked at I, that's what I really enjoyed that sort of part of it. What, how did your training change? Uh, did you change, like, which plans did you follow then for road racing? I was following sweet spot base a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Like I say, at the start, I, I wanted to go into a fit rather than sort of deciding myself before I experienced it, what did I need to do? So mm -hmm. I went into the race and then I learned quickly, right, I need to start doing a bit more, say, VO2 max stuff. It's something that I've never really done a huge amount of. We would have done a bit of it as part of the, 
the long distance plan, but um, not really focused on. But it was only my first year last year, so I just wanted to keep a decent level of fitness. Even even that, trying to maintain the fact that you can race three or four times a month rather than whereas I would race five times a year. So trying to go, I can't peak for every race. I can't be tapering off and aim. And so to be honest, at the start, it was just right. Use the races as a workout. Use the club league as a workout. Figure out what, what happens. What do, you, what do I need to do to be able to respond and just keep a base level of fitness there behind me. And hopefully that will get me through. Yeah, that's, it's not a bad approach, especially when you're dealing with frequent racing and everything else like that. If you, if you end up, uh, doing that and racing throughout a whole season, you know, a whole year with intensity and training with intensity like that, it can get pretty tough. That's why when you use plan builder to build out a plan and you lay in all of your other races, it will adjust for those sort of things, you know, for the, for the B priority races and the A priority races and um, yeah, you kind of have to time yourself. Like you'll race a bunch, but you just have to pick one and that's where you're going to peak. You know, it's, it's a totally different, uh, experience. You mentioned for your first ride or first race that you got the most combative rider award, which I wish they gave that in our local races here. That would be fantastic. Uh, because then it would make me give me an excuse for how I race far too often. Um, cause <laughs> I had tend to go out a little too hard, uh, or but with this rider or the most stupid rider, one or the other, most yeah. combative, or most stupid, whichever you want to call it. I far prefer combative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so tell me about that, that, and has your training or, or I should say, has your approach to racing changed? Like initially, what were you doing to get the most combative rider award? And how do you look now as a, as a racer? Like, how has it changed? How do you execute differently? Yes, I suppose. I'm just a start, but I haven't done a whole lot of racing since with the, with the current situation. So that race was actually, I think the second or third last race of the season. Um, and mm. two of the lads in the club were going up. So they said, look, do you want to come up with us and go around? So, um, I thought it'd be a course to suit me six laps with a hill in the middle. So mm. I, I attacked the hill pretty much every, every single lap and tried to get away very quickly after the second or third lap, realized that it was going to be a bunch sprint. Nobody's letting anybody away. So, any any time the group slowed, I attacked. Any time the group took it easy around the corner, I attacked. I just I said, look, sure, I may as well enjoy myself as much as as anything <laughs> and, and try and make it hard for other people. Maybe a lap or two longer might have made a difference, but whittled down the group a little bit. And I suppose I learned a lot then that how much work I'd done and how much I put my nose in the wind and that I was pulling other lads to the to the finish line who didn't. I think a lad who won it, I didn't see him at all all day. So <laughs> you learn a lot. So. Yeah, no, I learned. And then on the drive back, sure, we were talking to the lads in the club and they were telling me, well, we were sitting 10th man back and we could see what you were doing and maybe next time don't do it as much or do every third one rather than every single one you want to do. But um, I suppose for me, again, it was just, it was about learning. So like that once I, I didn't go in thinking I was going to win, I just wanted to make it hard for everybody else. So that that's the way it, that's the way it happened. And yeah, it was, it was nice to get the prize, definitely. Um, yeah. At least you get some reward for it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, some sort of recognition. And then going into the next race, you actually ended up doing a three-stage race that's held over two mm. days. So two stages were packed into one day, then another day just had a single stage. Uh, tell me about that race. Were you going in with like a different approach? Were you planning to be more conservative and, and hide in the group a little more? Oh, def definitely. So I suppose the, the three-day race, the first day had about 90K, sort of flat, one or two little lumps, but nothing major. And then a seven kilometer TT in the evening. And then the second day was about 90 kilometers again, but there was two, two laps of a climb, about an AK climb. So it was a good climb. So I was actually invited down by another lad I know who said it would suit you. 
that this race will suit you. So the, the endurance background, I suppose, from the triathlon and coming off a season of full distance training, I, I was coming in in decent shape anyway. I kept the fitness up over the winter. So the first day, I learned, learned so much in the other race that I didn't put myself in the front at all. I sat in the group and I think my heart rate was, was like a sportif or a grand fondo for most of the race. I just didn't do much. I had a big, a huge piece of luck where there was a nasty crash about two kilometers from the end and I was the last rider to get around it before everybody else was taken down. So that set me up well then going in, I suppose, unfortunately for other people, but luckily for me, going into the second day. TT, I think I came third. So again, put me in a good place. Didn't have to wear the yellow jersey that they made the other lad wear. So I was there with no teammates, so it wouldn't have been the best thing in the world. So um yeah, felt felt decent then the second day. So got up over the group. I think ten of us got away over the hill the first time, and we were caught by a few coming down. And then the second time, I think six or seven of us got away and stayed away. And I was the last man up the hill. So I suppose I knew what I had to do. I was smarter. I didn't. I knew I didn't need to win. I didn't go there thinking you have to win the first day. You have to win the TT. You have to win the second day. Just it's a combination of the three days, and whatever happens at the end happens. Um, it was a surprise to win overall, to be honest. It was, it was close enough. There wasn't a huge distance between us. Um, the, the crash the first day made a huge difference. So that last, some last race was over by then. So mm-hmm. that's, I suppose it's, it's, it is bike racing, but it's unfortunate. But um, yeah, and then I got an unexpected upgrade. I think because I came third in the TT, I got extra points on top of the stage win. So I got an upgrade to A3 after two races, which nice. was quick. <laughs> but, that's um, awesome. You weren't yeah. stuck in there. Yeah. Yeah. Like a bit, I, I look back and I think a bit more experience maybe would have been good for me at racing and just learning the, learning about racing. But at the same time, to get out that quick is nice as well and to, to be able to, to step up, I suppose. No doubt. And with this crazy year, you didn't have the racing opportunities that really any of us anticipated we would have. No. So hopefully those return. Um, you'll get to make even more progress with that. But one of the things I like, are, are you going to change up the way like, or the training that you have, like, uh, the criterium plan, short power build, those sort of like, you know, hard, more punchy things, or maybe rolling road race, depending on what sort of racing are you doing? Is that your plan moving forward with your training to take a more road specific approach with it? Definitely. Yeah. So I, I trained on the bike since about March, April, and I've done a few little things myself. Like, so I've done, I went down to Wicklow, which would be south of Dublin, where there's mountains, and I done four and a half thousand meters of climbing in one day, sort of thing, and just wow. li- little, just little targets to keep me to me. Go. I don't, I don't necessarily need to race, but I like to have something to to train towards. So just to keep a, a bit of fitness. So I took some time off then in September. So just with after doing all the triathlon for a long time, I sort of have an idea of of how I work, I suppose. So I've been doing a lot of base stuff between the plan is to keep going up till Christmas, and it is zone two but it's 15 16 hour weeks of zone two um mm. nearly all on the turbo so it's it's getting a lot of use but just for my own mind and my own body and burnout and everything I, I found if i start intensity too soon i break down very quickly so i think if i can get two or three solid months of 15 16 hour weeks of base behind me that'll set me up well then i think jack the plan then january is to move into sort of sweet spot build or sweet spot mm. base sorry for a cycle or two and then start looking at, I think rolling, rolling road race was definitely one and short power build was definitely another, another I was looking at. Um, so yeah, just anything that'll get me working above, above threshold sort of and start to get used to that, what that feels like. 
Yeah, put you on a hilly course with that sort of training, and my goodness, it'll be really hard to ride with you. <laughs> you Once the hill only goes up, and I don't have to come down the other side. The, the, flip, side <laughs> is trending, the flip side is trending too long, and the turbo is, uh, I can go well in a straight line, but put a few corners in, and it's a, it's a different story. So it's something to work How are on. you planning... Yeah. How are you planning to address that? Cause that's an absolute, uh, a thing that road cyclists in particular, really, uh, it's crucial to success. Yeah. So the, the, the local club have been very good. There's a few lads there have been giving me some tips and watching me through. So they'd follow me through a corner and they'd sort of tell me, look, this is what you're doing and sort of give me advice. And then I live close to a train station, which has a big, huge car park. So sometimes on a Saturday after a spin or if I'm out in the evening and do a spin, I'd go down there for 20 minutes and just go in and out of, sort of the course that they have there. So use the curbs, use the corners, practicing on my bad side, just seeing how fast I can go through a corner. I just learned to trust the bike a bit, I suppose. Um, TT bikes, the course don't tend to be too technical, tend to be out, straight out, straight back. So once once you're all right, you're grand. So no, it's definitely something I've noticed. And I see in the group spin, we come to a corner and suddenly the other side, the lads have two bike lengths on me and they've done nothing. It's not from power, it's just from being better at, at cornering than me. And, like I'm, I'm a light rider. I don't have watts to be thrown out the window all over the place. So I need to make anywhere where I can save a bit of effort is is the key. I think really. So um, yeah, no, it's definitely something I've been working on now with our weather and the wet and the leaves on the ground and stuff. It's probably something that'll go on the back burner for a while while I'm on the turbo. But it's something that's in my mind. It's definitely something I've highlighted that I need to need to improve. Mm, yeah, that's a really good point. It makes me want to talk to a couple of the members of the Cliff Bar team. Uh, who are smaller riders and to see what they do to, to be competitive with, you know, the most efficient mm. and the most technically adept criterium racers here in the country and how they do that. That'll be, that would be an interesting podcast to do. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be really good. Yeah. Could be some good insight. They'd be fantastic with it. Um, uh, that's, that's what a cool story. Uh, sub 10 Ironman, and then also to be working on, on road racing that that's just uh, I, you're, you're very well accomplished. And I think that that's something that a lot of people would go for and be happy to achieve. So way to go, Joe, on that. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Job well done, man. Uh, so I guess with all of this now, um, I want to talk, uh, end it off on the keynote, which I kind of want to like, leave this as like the hallmark for your episode, but clearly you're still evolving and learning as a cyclist here. But that said, how, like, I think there's an obsession with having to have a massive FTP all the time and you don't have a massive FTP for, uh, the people that you're racing with. Like right now you mentioned that I believe that you were somewhere around 220, 230 Watts uh, for your FTP. Um, but you can still be successful with that. So what have you, what do you do with a lower FTP to be successful in those ranks? Like how do you race differently than perhaps somebody would with a larger FTP? I suppose it's, it's when you use that power, that's what I've learned. So in, I've done one, a three race this year. So, and I learned very quickly that if I'm going to the front of the group, I'm making sure it's on a hill, that I'm not doing the work on the flat. So if we're going uphill, I'm going to put myself in the front and try and make it a bit difficult for other people. That once the hill goes up, it's the leveler. It's I can put out four watts a kilo at 240 watts, and somebody who's 90 watts, 90 kilos has to put out 360 watts, and that's a lot of watts, doesn't matter what weight you are. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and that, that would be the big thing, and efficiency, just... Like I said there, if you mean, I don't have watts to be thrown around. I, when I was practicing my TT bike, I would hold the position. I don't wobble. I keep my back straight. I keep my arms tidy. I don't rock. I try and make sure that every single watt I have I'm, goes into the bike. I'm not a, an Alaphilippe who's thrown hands and shapes and all over the place. 
when I when I'm down, I'm down, and the only things that are moving are my legs, and I just try and keep it. So it's a bit like the Ironman that you need you need to keep that that energy there for the end of the race, and whatever I can do. So if it's been smart by sitting behind the lads, like I, I learned like that. Um, in in the group, I would try and position myself behind the biggest rider, mm-hmm. so that when it's my turn on the front, he's behind me, and I get down mm-hmm. on the drops and make him work a bit harder. So little things that you pick up that when I'm on the front of the group, I, because I'm, I'm five foot eight on a good day, I'm 50, I don't have a big, I don't present a big block to the wind. Mm-hmm. So when I'm on the front, I make it hard for other people. I make myself small. I make myself as, as aero as I can. Little, little things like that, like finding them little gains where you can, I suppose, is, the, is, is what I've done. Mm. So efficiency in terms of how you ride the bike and then efficiency in terms of how you position yourself. Yeah. And that's something that doesn't matter how big your FTP or small it is, that's going to benefit you if you focus on, on you use utilizing that. So in one respect, because your hand is forced, it's, it's put you into that position where you've had to learn those things and apply them. And it's a good thing to do. So hopefully it's a good reminder to all of us. A, mm-hmm. Was it when your race review podcast or videos with Pete where he said it, sometimes they, they try and see who could get around the race with the least number of watts and yes. that, sort of, that sort of stuck with me a little bit where when that's yeah the, it doesn't matter how many watts you do at the end of the race what matters is where you finish mm-hmm. so I, I don't need to be putting out 300 watts on the flat I need to be making sure that if I can get to the end of the race and somebody done 100 watts more than me it doesn't matter that, that if they're two, place, two places behind me all that matters is the, the place you finish yeah, it's, it's a great way to do that. If you, if it's difficult for not, everybody's going to win everybody or every race. And you'll find yourselves in situations where sometimes if you're just looking at the result, you can become very frustrated because it may not tell the story of your race, but that's why we have one of those features on trainer over. You can look at time spent at zero and, and just coasting. Basically there's a coasting power zone and then you can create other power zones to do that. And if you're finishing fifth place and then the next week you finish fifth place and you feel like you haven't made any progress, just look at your time in zone. If you got fifth place and you spent a whole lot time or a whole lot less time pedaling, that's a huge win. So I always look at that too. Uh, if I can win a race with the least amount of work possible, job well done. I need to do more of that. You know, that that's the key. There is something to be proud of using a bunch of Watts and all the power to win a race. Sure. But that's going to be really tricky to win that more than once. If you win a race by pure power, the rest of the field is going to get very wise to that the next time. So it's really about being a savvy racer. Um, super cool, Joe, this has been a really cool podcast, very insightful into your Ironman performances and then your transition to road. I'm excited to see how it keeps going for you. Thanks for having me. It's been great. It's been unexpected. I didn't expect to get a reply. So it's been, it's been a great experience. Yeah, absolutely. Is there uh how could people get in touch with you if they have questions uh, for you about what's something we talked about on this, ho- on this podcast or otherwise? Um, geez, I don't, I don't know. Um, Instagram probably Joe Byrne 100 is probably the one I use the most. Um, I'm on the forum, but there's enough lads on there who know a lot more than me that I don't need to be chiming in, chiming in too much. I, I, I probably learn more from the forum than I'd, I'd give. So, um, yeah, probably Instagram is probably the best. Fantastic. We'll put links to that down below here. I, are you on Strava as well? I assume. Yes. Yes. I cool. Tell you. We'll link. Joe Bourne, probably Joe Bourne 100 as well. Awesome. We'll link to you down there. Everything. So everybody can get in touch. If you want to be on the successful athletes podcast, you can do so. There'll be a link below in this podcast or video. If you're watching on YouTube and you'll also be able to just go there by going to trainerroadcom slash podcast, clicking on the successful athletes banner. And there's a fi- form you fill out right there. 
Just tell us about your success story, how Train Road helped you do that. And hopefully we'll get to talk to you on a future episode of the, of the Successful Athletes podcast. So thanks so much, Joe, and we'll talk to you soon.